KXSFLP, San Francisco 102.5 FM, streaming at the World Wide Web at KXSF.FM. Hey, this is the Frequency Uplift. Thanks to Radio Patio for holding it down on the World Wide Web from 8 to 10 p.m. And right now, you're on the terrestrial airwaves with KXSF. Thanks to our Frequency Partners, KSFP, for holding it down for the last little bit of time. And uh, you got us now. Till the 4 a.m. hour, we do that. We switch off with San Francisco Public Press. And now tonight, we are honored to extend pride into the July 4th weekend, declaring liberties with Out of Sight Hate, featuring an interview with uh, Tina D'Elia and Seth Eisen of the Out of Sight Hate production. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But just to set the mood, a little Grateful Dead merging into some great patriotic music from one of my favorite nationalists. Well, I don't know about that. Curtis Mayfield. Thanks for tuning in. KXSFLP, San Francisco. Some people think we don't have the right to say it's my country. Before they give in, they'd rather fuss and fight than say it's my country. I paid 300 years or more Of slave driving sweat and wealth on my back This is my country Protecting my pride For me to go second class We've survived a hard blow And I want you to know That you'll face us at last And I know you will give consideration Shall we perish unjust Or live equal as a nation This is my country And I know you will give consideration Shall we perish unjust or live equal as a nation This is my country 
Support for KXSF comes from The Willows, a south-of-market gastropub with a seasonal cocktail list and a rotating choice of craft brews on tap. Located at 1582 Folsom at 12th, come by for socially distanced drinks and burgers or order takeout or delivery at thewillowssf.com. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio, KXSF 102.5 FM. Welcome back. This is KXSFLP San Francisco. Thanks to the Willows and thanks to you all for tuning in tonight to the Frequency Uplift. One more Sunday night. Happy July 4th. Happy Taking Liberties Day. Happy Making Revolution Day. Happy, like, everything blowing up in every neighborhood in San Francisco Day. Happy Sunday Day. Happy, uh, you know, this. Happy that. Happy trying to make democracy happen in America. We just heard, we got a little background, uh, Grateful Dead, of course, because we're going to a trip tonight, and we just heard some Anatolian psychedelia, some modern version from Deria, Yithil Dream, and Hoop Shimshek, I think I'm saying that right, from their new EP, Dost One, Friend One, The Trip. Before that, of course, Curtis Mayfield and the Impressions, This Is My Country. And welcome to it. So tonight we are blessed and honored, as we'll say in a moment, to have have a recording. I had a great session and interview earlier in the week with Seth Eisen and of the uh, wonderful production that's out in the hate uh, coming up through July, actually, and we'll talk a little bit about that, a little bit about uh, queer legacies and the hidden histories of these neighborhoods, and in particular of the psychedelic and hippie era, which has such cachet and such... There's great depth there to be delved into, and uh, I think we're just going to go right with that. Thanks for tuning in. This is, uh, again, an interview with creators and actors from Out of Sight Paint, a production, a walking tour, a performative trip through the Haight-Ashbury and two other neighborhoods, but just for this month. Last month, to the byways and histories of the hate. Let's go with this. This is KXSF LP San Francisco, 102.5 FM, and I am honored and blessed to be with Seth Eisen and Tina Delia, the uh, actress and the director of an artistic director of Eisen Presents. Seth is. Engaging LGBTQ history is a living, breathing dialogue, um, bringing lost legacies into our streets and into our neighborhoods. And Tina is the actress in the latest edition of this, Out of Sight Hate, uh, capturing uh, queer legacies and 
two iconic figures of the counterculture from there. Thank you guys so much for coming on and, and talking with me today. Thank yeah, you thank having. you for having us. I wanted to start off maybe with Seth, a little bit about the history of Out of Sight in general and your productions and research process, the third in a series of, of neighborhood presentations and, and pieces capturing mm-hmm. hidden histories and, and queer legacies in San Francisco. Tell us a little bit about the process to now. Yeah. Um, so in 2017, we set out to um, start a series um, of walking tours that were immersive and take people to the sites where the histories happened, and especially histories that have been disappeared or erased, um, you know, from the public record. So it's really exciting to have brought these out. And uh, yeah, we started with. Um, Actually, the first tour we did, I just did by myself. <laughs> and um, uh, that was in 2017, uh, as we were sort of planning things. And the first actual show we did was in 2018 with a cast of 14 people in North Beach. And then in 2019 and in 2020, we did um, Out of Sight, South of Market with a cast of six in 2019 and a cast of three in 2020. So this year um, we're working with Tina D'Elia and and um, yeah, it's just a cast of one, but a multitude of characters, we like to say. Well, you've done clearly exhaustive research into these hidden legacies and, uh, you know, um, history that, as you say, is often hidden or subsumed by other images and other ideas. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about um, how you engaged this history? And and I know you did a ton of research and a ton of interviews. How did you come to these two characters? Well, the first first one, um, I think, you know, well, the first, the first, history that we came upon that I, I felt really drawn to was Peggy Caserta. And and I knew kind of instantly, which has happened to me over the years of making this work. Usually I just feel like, oh, it, it becomes abundantly clear that like this show has to be about this person. Um, and that was through reading an article. I think it was in Vulture, magazine i think i saw a really good article about her and i got really interested and i got the book and then i was like oh my god and then of course there's this tie-in with the hate and um in reading her book it was just so clear that it had to be her but we tried to keep it open um and and i should say that you know i've been working with also our our writer michelle carter uh, since since the get-go, well, since January, and um, and you know, th- and so we were really playing with, well, who should it be, and then who would be a companion to Peggy, and and how would that be? So we went through actually a lot of different people, uh, thinking who it could be potentially, but it just made it made sense the more that we developed the work that we were like, yeah, I think 
focusing it on two people seemed smarter for this tour uh, since we had some other goals, one of which, you know, just, you know, coming out of COVID and, and wanting this to be, you know, an, an, audit, an auditory experience as well uh, for people to be socially distant from, from the audience uh, or for the performer to be socially distant from the audience and the audience to be socially distant from one another. Uh, we we created the project really around the idea of immersive uh, audio, and and then the project already is you know immersive in terms of like bringing people to the locations where the histories actually happen. So and it had been on my mind already since um, since we started writing grant proposals for this project. Uh, that we wanted to work with the Doolin Larson building, but I had no idea at that time that Peggy's store was actually in that building. Oh. So when that came together and I read Peggy's history and then she says the address, I'm like, oh my God, that's like in the building? That's crazy. So all these things started falling together. Uh, and then we got, you know, it took many months of uh, courting and, you know, conversations with, with them and our, the, our, this person who stewards the, the property, um, you know, and, uh, you know, they have an artist residency program there. And, you know, artist residencies are challenging to get, but this was particularly so because our, our goals had to really align with what they were doing. Mm -hmm. So that was a perfect match. And then coming up with Hibiscus uh, as the second character, uh, was a was a long process, you know. Mm. We went through some other people, but we realized that both of them are really iconoclast, you know, iconoclasts, and they did things that were so many worlds apart, and yet they were around around the same time, mm -hmm. and even had friends in common or knew people in common, but uh, weren't necessarily acquainted. But they were very big in their own worlds, mm -hmm. so it seemed kind of perfect. Well, they're amazing characters, um, Hibiscus de la Blossom or born George Edgerly Harris III of the Cauliflower uh, Commune, which turned into the Cockettes, which turned into the Angels of Light, and of course, Peggy Caserta, who run the, the Sinica store and uh, did was a, was a sort of key part of the hate street counterculture of designing and making the clothes and, and uh, being a central location, really, this store. I was wondering, Tina, how was it for you to embody these characters? Did you know of these folks before coming into the project? And how was that to, 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 to be Hibiscus and to be Peggy? I, um, I knew of Hibiscus. I did not know of Peggy. I didn't know a lot about hibiscus. Um, and so what was uh, always exciting and always a theme in this pro process was, in the beginning was, I'm not sure, but here's where we're going, or here's what we're mm -hmm. gonna look at and research right now, but we're not totally positive sure that we're gonna focus on this. And the reason I knew of hibiscus was because of the coquettes mm -hmm. um, uh, and because of his iconic look. But outside of that, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you a lot, except that um, because of queer folks that were sort of older than myself that had seen the Cockettes and then later had, you know, done other Cockettes plays that were revived and 
um, in maybe the last sort of 20, 15 years. Uh, so starting with Peggy, what was exciting was and necessary, I felt like, was to start with one person at a time because I wanted to read Peggy Caserta's book. I ran into some trouble really slowly and I read it really slowly and I feel like I was absorbing her really slowly, uh, which helped, which mm -hmm. really made a difference because I'm settling in to, to myself, um, kind of into my DNA and my mind and my heart and, you know, embodying um, an actual real person. Um, so this is, this was a new adventure as a solo performer to perform in somebody else's play and in something that has was ideas but not but you know script wasn't there yet so i think that it was so helpful to start with one person and really um really investigate her life and as i was reading i would pause and kind of stop along the way and tell seth what i was thinking or what was hitting me um and um I, you know, I love how she was making an impact in our queer um, counterculture and being a woman in her 20s, a queer woman in her 20s um, in the 60s, opening her own business and then opening many businesses like that was, you know, really rare, like kind of, you know, when I communicate this with people like folks get it right away, sort of how, um, sort of how, how unique, um, all of that was. And the other thing that I thought was really badass about Peggy was um, after struggling with her addiction to heroin for so long and time in prison, when she came out, she was a hustler again, as in a business person, like all of all of the business people out there. So works in a factory, buys one house, fixes it up, rents it, keeps working in the factory, buys another house, fixes it up, rents it. Now she's renting apartments. Like I was like, there you go again, like amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, still a writer, still with us. So those were already ginormous enough shoes to fill. And right. it really allowed me to sort of have love for Peggy, to have some respect for Peggy. And, um, you know, for those out there listening, like her book is great that she wrote and is very painful and traumatic to read at times. So it was reading it. It was I was going through it slowly. So then all this amazing work I was doing with Seth as a director, um, and then through time, Seth also brought in Lauren Brazel, an assistant director, um, that there was, that we were doing Zoom work. So none of our work for months was in person. Right. And having to go really deep, um, uh, you know, from my home and where Seth was and, um, and, uh, uh, so that was a challenge, but also um, what I appreciated was that, that, that there was a lot of physical embodying time. Mm -hmm. and, and then from the physical embodying time and the different zones and tones of Peggy, then there was the voice embodying time. Um, and what was helpful is I was already on my way there when it was like, all right, we think it's going to be hibiscus. So then I could absorb my, my world into hibiscus, which is mm -hmm. so much because it did feel yeah. like this kind of rock star, but on the fringes and avant-garde. 
Um, and I felt like I, it was interesting. It's like falling in love with hibiscus is like, is a whirlwind. Yeah. <laughs> like you go to Hades, you go all over the world, you go up, you go down, <laughs> you spin everywhere. Um, and I think that what I was so blown away with was in his short time on this earth, um, I, I still can't believe that sort of he came to the hate and was kind of figuring out what he wanted to do. And once it, he, once the, once he knew, once he was off to the races, directing, creating, like it felt like he was, he was just this force that was not, was not gonna, that didn't stop. That, mm. that really, that really uh, blew me away. Um, and, um, and I feel like, yes, and those are huge shoes to fill because there are people that come to the shows and there are people I talked to today who did know Hibiscus, yeah. you know, new Rockettes, new Hibiscus, and, you know, even told me, like, Hibiscus would be very critical of your performance. <laughs> I think it was good, but he'd have a lot to say. I heard that on Sunday. Yes, yes, indeed. Um, and I love how they're really different people, and I mm -hmm. love how... Uh, uh, the way that that Michelle Carter wrote them is in really, you know, really different ways, so yeah. that the audience gets a feel for just these deep dives and, um, uh, you know, sort of it's it's like it's like throwing a bunch of genres together, um, which is sort of I don't know, sort of my personal favorite. Yeah, I was curious. Of a solo performer. Yeah, I was curious. Did you have a, you or and Seth? I know Seth. You interviewed Peggy. Did you guys have interaction with her in the development of the character? Has she seen the show? She hasn't seen it yet, um, okay. but we're hoping that she'll come. Okay. Uh, but yeah, she was very influential uh, in terms of yeah. I had a, I had a long you know three hour interview with her and then read Which, both of the the books and then tell me the name of the book again so we can have that for the radio audience she wrote um so i ran into some trouble is her 2018 publication yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah and then there was the book that was basically her story was stolen from her um that was very popular in the in the 70s um which is going down with janice So um, it's it's amazing um, these two wonderful and iconic characters. Um, that part part of it is that uh, you know Hibiscus is obviously so influential and such a visible sort of icon from the '60s. Peggy, perhaps less so, but um, all of them um, were part of a, an amazing sort of queer base in the hate at the time which is you know different and kind of a thing that as um in popular images of the 60s it tends to be very het very heterosexual very cisgendered very much you know the straight dude and the with the bell bottoms that peggy made and uh how was it to sort of to bring that back out to try to um you know this seems to be part of the process and the intent of the theater and of your projects, Seth, to bring, um, to, to, to revalidate and reemerge this history, which is really key and really critical in the history of the, you know, the sixties counterculture, um, and, and the hate. 
Yeah. Um, are you asking about, you know, the the imagery, the iconography of the 60s, the, the psychedelic? As an indication, yeah, as, as a, uh, but, but also that it was such a, like, queer culture and this queer, queer liberatory project was really part of uh, the, the, the DNA and the bones of the 60s counterculture. And that's not seen and not said. And there's so much kind of hidden history that you talk about in the play. So <laughs> part of my question is to bring, is that the intent to bring that forward, to document, to, to yeah. enliven for people? And for both you and Tina, how does that, how do you relate to that, you know, as, as, a, as a project and as a, as a mission, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, yeah, I mean, I was fascinated with the idea from the beginning that, you know, we think of the 60s as the sexual revolution, except for people don't really remember the fact that it was still pretty much illegal to be a gay person and have a public gathering together legally in bars, uh, to, to work, to run a bar. Um, or a gathering space for for gay people, and it was also considered a mental illness. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, these things are kind of you know happening at the same time. So, like you know, we're thinking about sexual revolutions, like free love and sex, and do whatever you want, you know. But really, um, you know, lots of gay people were going to jail and being framed, and um, you know, there was. You know, still a lot of morality that was running, you know, the city of San Francisco, at least. Um, so that's that's some of it. But but also, you know, maybe more importantly is is that, you know, continually, I feel like, you know, now that there are more queer histories out there, you know, and many people know about Stonewall, very few people know about um, the Compton's cafeteria riot um, that happened that predates Stonewall, um, which was, you know, trans people of color and drag queens, you know, who were in the tenderloin, uh, who were, you know, earlier on, you know, fighting with the cops who were, you know, basically trying to shut the place down, arrest them. Um, and and th those histories, the history of Jose Saria, um, who's the, you know, first out gay Latino man to run for public office and who really helped to um, pave the road for our, for our rights to um, very directly um, for our right to gather publicly. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so those things, even though those histories aren't necessarily in the hate, uh, it's really hard to talk about what was happening in the era of the 60s without mentioning those histories in particular, um, because the gay liberation movement didn't just happen, you know, out of nothing. It really came out of people who were, you know, out of our struggles mm -hmm. and, and especially the struggles of, of queer people of color. And there were political groups, I believe, centered in the hate or at least in those that you talk about, like the Gay Liberation yeah. Front and the Society for Individual Rights. Mm -hmm. all. Yeah, the, the, I mean they were definitely... they were they were citywide, but there you know there were key characters who who were living in the hate and or who were congregating there and were going to 
you know, bars, and then there were communes, you know, um, that were in the hate or close to the hate in which, um, you know, gay liberationists were, you know, meeting and, and, and having gatherings and, and planning protests. Um, yeah. And I I think it's a really powerful part of the piece that, you know, it has all these, as you walk, there's all this audio and all these people uh, giving their personal testimonies. And, uh, you know, I wonder, uh, you, you mentioned Tina sort of coming to Hibiscus and, and, and that process. Who, who, was, who was in the running and who was left out and who was the, I mean, you, you've done a wonderful job of documenting this both in your website and through the audio portion of the tour but i'm curious you know what was your process of getting to hibiscus and the other names and the other people you might want it that were high in the running there and you really wanted to go god this person is so amazing yeah well seth you had kept wondering one if it was going to be fayetta um who uh who was a cis woman who was in the coquettes um and had uh you know, male and female lovers, um, uh, and is still with us today. And I'm trying to remember if there was anyone else that was sort of possibly besides Fayette. I mean, th their names might have come up, but I did. But I feel like I feel like um, Hibiscus kept coming back, um, uh, and perhaps that's because. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember when you started reading Flower Power Man, Seth. Yeah, I mean, that really changed everything for me. Um, mm -hmm. So Hibiscus's three sisters and and one of his brothers, um, I think it was really a family project. They they worked on a biography about him. Uh, and his work and also they made another book about their work together because they all collaborated as a family so when I read that book um, that kind of was like right this I think what really got me was the parts that I didn't know about hibiscus that helped me understand to the world the queer world that he was actually already coming from that was that was bi-coastal that was you know really out of the experimentalism that was happening in the New York theater scene and the downtown theater scene. But it was, you know, it was film and it was, um, 
you know, visual art and theater and, and, you know, and the writers as well. So, yeah. So, so, you know, when I heard the, the fact that, you know, he was, he was close with, um, John Vaccaro, um, of the ridiculous theater and, and who, you know, he was kind of mentored by him and also Allen Ginsberg and, um, and Irving Rosenthal, who, um, you know, was the person who started the cauliflower, uh, commune, uh, that they, you know, that he actually came out here at the same time as Irving, but those people were like a generation before him. They were part of the beat generation. And I think it's just really fascinating to hear that, like, he was sort of like the young person who learned about glitter. Mm-hmm. from New York and then brought it here and kind of made it popular. <laughs> um, but, you know, there was a whole aesthetic. There was a real queer aesthetic um, that was happening that he learned about, but then he developed, you know, when he came here. So, yeah, there were other, there were other, you know, to answer your question, there were definitely other people who were, who were very interesting. Um, and... Yeah, but but there was something about the two of them together, about Peggy and Hibiscus, and how vastly different they were, but also how developed they were in terms of their own aesthetics, their ways of being in community, their way of kind of developing community. I mean, they were both community leaders, yeah, you know, um, and not necessarily intentionally so. Um, maybe hibiscus more so, but um, so yeah. And you're listening to an interview with Seth Eisen and Tina Delia of the Out of Sight Hate performance and walking history tour. Uh, coming up in uh, been a month or more month and change now, and our coming up through all of Saturdays and Sundays in July through the 25th next week 3pm and 11pm uh, I'm going to take a, a momentary break and come back to this interview some clips from the performance and yeah this is going to be a fun evening for queer culture queer history Check out the website, Out of Sight, Hate, or Eisen Presents. We'll get you there. But uh, in the moment, I want to say that KXSF presents another live in real life benefit show, IRL Kids. It's back in town on Saturday, July 10th. This next Saturday at Eli's Mile High Club, Rockin' the House will be the breaking post-punk alt-rock band, Fake Fruit. High-caliber indie rockers Carpool Tuttle and emerging psych garage band Foes. So get tickets for 15 bucks at kxsf.fm, live at Eli's, or pay 20 at the door. That's live at Eli's this coming Saturday, July 10th at 9 p.m. Hope to see you there, and hope to see you checking out some of our other, you know, most amazing... Uh, shows and uh, I'm gonna give you a little taste of one here, I think, right now. 
Hey, this is Dave Getz from Big Brother and the Holding Company. When I want to let my freak flag fly, I tune into Freak Flag Radio on KXSF 102.5 FM every Friday, midnight till 2 a.m. developed under COVID and, and has this sort of uh, hard, kind of a hard dynamic. I know what a struggle it was for you to figure out how to be safe, be distanced in that time. And now we're in this moment where, you know, hopefully we're opening up more and um, you're able to do that. And I, I found it really interesting to how much the, the things that you tried to do to keep people safe also enhanced the project and, and made this really interesting tension and dynamic. So I'm curious for you both how that played out. I mean, Tina playing in a window uh, across glass to people had this very remarkable quality to it, I think. And maybe your reactions to that, how that was. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it. I, you know, from the get-go, we, we were trying to make something that would be safe for people uh, in terms of, you know, we, we've always brought audiences into the spaces where, uh, where the histories happened. So this was different in the sense that we couldn't go in anywhere and people were really not willing to let us in, you right. know, like a lot of, you know, when I get, when I got to the hate, you know, you know, at the end of last year, it's like a third of the businesses were closed a lot. There's a lot more activity happening now than there was then. Um, but it, but yeah, it just seemed really perfect to be able to plan it around, um, you know, since it was Peggy's store to, to be able to have her in the window. And, you know, and I think it, 
I think it's really touching too because that was really her world. And she, when she talked to me about it, she just was like, she kept talking about the archway of the door and that the counterculture happened within the archway of her door, you know, and that, you know, her friends, you know, Grateful Dead or Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin, um, you know, all these people were nobody and then were sort of becoming who they became, you know, while they were hanging out with her, you know, so so it's, it's kind of, I think it's kind of perfect to, to begin there. And then I, I really personally, I love seeing it through the window and then that she's in the store, but that, that, that Tina comes out of the store and really connects with us, but also that there's people, just tons of people walking by <laughs> and it's, it's actually not that distracting. I don't think it is because uh, we hear her so well through the, through the headsets that we use. Yeah. Tina, what's your experience like? Um, it's, well, it's so great that, that we're doing it because, uh, you know, before, you know, until I could get into the space and get a headset on and, you know, that, right. It's like, how do you, right. Like Bob, how do you test something like that? Well, you to really test it is to do it. Right. right? So I wanted the feeling that I was I was working the right, the right, uh, I was in the right zone so that when I am in the window, I'm really getting to just enjoy it, you know, and really embody Peggy and Janice. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, until there could be sort of a live audience and see what the crowd feels like, did I know, you know, now I feel like, yes, I want to be, you know, in the storefront, you know, sort of out on the street. And um, I, it's actually more, it's actually much more helpful that there's people and that I'm learning how to engage. Whereas mm -hmm. before, you know, there was just months of imagination work and I'm like, I'm ready for the real thing. Um, and the, right. And then the park is a whole other experience, which is right. a lot of freedom because I have a lot of room to, I have a lot of room to use. So that's great. So my right. room, so my physical area is, I have a lot of room to play in. And then I feel like the audience has room to, you know, where they want to sit, if they want to get up and stand. Um, you know, I, I, um, Seth and I, I think we're reminding some audience, like, this is a show you can respond to. Right. You know, which I, you know, I really enjoy. Um, and I've never been mic'd before. So um, that's another thing that people have said is that to see live theater, but it's still intimate because you know, if you go to Golden Gate Park on a Saturday and a Sunday, you're going to run into all kinds of sounds. Yeah. But if you have a headset on, then you can, you know, then you can hear the show and you can hear the music and you can hear the nuance. Um, so uh, all of that actually, like, it just became better for me as a performer to yeah. know that people are having this fully embodied experience and they can take it all in. Whereas before it was like, you know, what is this? Get somebody to sit in the audience, but they can't hear the show because we've got the bonga bonga drums going. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I wondered. I mean, there is as we move into the park and get more expansive in this this performative walking tour, we you know there's there's a lot of interaction and audience moments of a wonderful audience interaction there, um, and so I was wondering what's your favorite 
did you do you have some fun memories of that? I know that you had talked about people who knew hibiscus coming up and talking to you about your makeup, for instance, or this and that. But uh, tell me, is there some stories you want to relay about the fun stuff that might have happened out there in the park for you on Hippie Hill? On Hippie Hill. Um, on the acid of this theater. Yes, indeed. Uh, I well, one. I think that when people want to play along, it's great, and some people will not restrain themselves and. Uh, you know, some people are taken by hibiscus. Some people are a little frightened by hibiscus. Some people want to perhaps have sex with hibiscus. So there's a lot of kind of <laughs> fantasy offers that get thrown out. Um, but also I feel like some people are there to play and, you know, kind of jump in the, you know, the metaphorical star ball pit of spiraling glitter fun. Um, I, I can imagine that if it wasn't a theater, some people would still be, th those that are intimidated by having a little bit of engagement still might be. Mm. Whereas some people are just having so much fun that engagement is, you know, seems really, you know, seems really nice and they're smiling and they're kind of swaying back and forth and, um, uh, you know, and, and laughing out loud. And so it, it actually, one time we, we realized that the sprinklers were gonna be on, so we had to move to a different space uh, which was a week before. Uh, so it was more windy. And mm. suddenly Peggy's yelling out that we had, you know, free food and free medicine, free lawyers, free wind. Mm -hmm. It was so windy that the stage manager had to hold something down behind me and it looked like I was on a sailboat. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there was surround sounds. There was some sounds of some sirens. Peggy's like, I hear the cops coming. Um, you know, so uh, um, uh, whatever the audience gives me, you know, hibiscus just falls in love with. So, you know, it's there. There is no theft when everything is free. There is no envy, wrath, or gluttony. There is no greed when everyone is given A silken satin robe and nightgown set to live in Boy can dream Lust is want and wanting is divine What is mine is yours and yours is mine Goddess made the earth of mud and fire. She put you here to know the shiver of desire.
when mounting is a skill. There is no crime when kindness is a thrill. There is no sin with no one to repent to. If someone calls you devil, tell them JC sent you. If someone calls you devil, tell them JC sent you. And that was Wages of Sin from the production Out of Sight Hate, performed by Tina Delia, who we're in conversation with this evening, and uh, written by Michelle Carter and Jules Indelicato from uh, the production company and the playwright of Out of Sight Hate. Uh, this is KXSFLP San Francisco, 102.5 FM, streaming at the World Wide Web at kxsf.fm. I think I'm going to carry on with this in just a minute, but I want to let you all know about a friend of ours. That is Rainbow Grocery. Going to give them a little do props and then come back to the interview for a little bit. Thanks for tuning in to KXSFLP San Francisco. Support for KXSF is provided by Rainbow Grocery, a worker-owned cooperative that has been serving San Francisco vegetarian food and providing a model for sustainable living since 1975. Rainbow is located at 1745 Folsom Street, Visit them online at rainbow.coop. KXSF would like to thank Rainbow Grocery for its continued support. And uh, coming back to... about riding on a unicorn then hibiscus is just you know right there galloping with them so i i'm down to i really love engagement with theater i'm 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 all for that i i feel like as a child i would watch you know vaudeville or any i would watch anything but i was all about you know you just engage and respond and so that's that's why i'm like bring bring it on on 
That's beautiful. It's it's a very it's a strength of this type of theater, Seth, and t and and just a strength of this piece in general, I think too. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely I'll say you know one of the inspirations, um, you know, for me is is uh, you know are the stories and the images, and Michelle and I both were captured by a photograph by the the sixties. Rock and roll photographer, really, he he photographed the hippie movement, Robert Altman, and uh, he there's this iconic photograph of of Hibiscus in Hippie Hill, which is like literally right next to where we are. We're basically in Hippie Hill without being on top of it. Um, and there's this there's a photograph of of Hibiscus in 1969, which is the year that he you know developed the Coquettes. And, um, you know, and he's sort of like spinning around, you know, with all these drummers around and then this like little naked baby. Um, and it's just this beautiful photo. And, you know, just the thought of that, it, it made its way into the script. And it's funny because I was just like at someone's house yesterday and, you know, we were talking for like several hours and then suddenly I was about to leave and then I was standing at the door to go and I noticed on the other side of the room, he actually had that photograph. Wow. No way. <laughs> yeah. And we went and then we just sat and looked at it and talked about it and turned it over. And, and then I looked at a book of, um, of Robert Altman's photographs of the moment and how he really beautifully captured the human being and, um, and hibiscus in that moment of being around all this drumming. And I, I think it's it's just, what to me, one of the magical moments is that the drumming continues, mm -hmm. that there's things that actually haven't changed, right. you know, that that feeling of, you know, the naked baby symbolically of like, we're here and we're in our senses and we're spinning around and we're amongst trees and we're in nature and we're, and we're a we, yeah. as opposed to, you know, this individual individuality kind of moment that that we've you know become um or uh, you know the the religion of of the individual but um it's really beautiful to to feel part of that moment you know mm -hmm. in in hearing the drums and knowing that we're part of the environment and it, like it seeps into even though the headsets are pretty noise canceling you kind of hear it in the background through <laughs> Tina's microphone. So it's like, it just becomes part of the environment, but it's actually not that distracting, right. you know? So I, I love that, that that's like, we've tapped into a moment that's actually really there. What we didn't see previously is how queer it was. And now people can really experience, right. you know, the seven gay bars that disappeared, the countless gay businesses that have disappeared, um, you know, and and the fact that the neighborhood, you know, really was a gay neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And and many people don't remember that. And and a big part of that 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 moment was being so close to the park. I mean, many people that I interviewed all said that, you know, one of the things that really made that moment what it was in the 60s and 70s is that you know you know the psychedelic culture was that we were so close to golden gate park mm -hmm. and that 
you know, you could just kind of flow from your from your ass trip right into the park and experience this whole way of whole new way of seeing the world um, and as as us being part of nature. Well, it is a beautiful transition and there is a beautiful moment at the end too where you kind of you're holding that legacy throughout the whole piece but you're also naming names at the end and sort of um i think holding uh uh really creating and being part of that legacy and sort of naming it for the audience but also sort of documenting it and and making sure that it is remembered and so um do you see this kind of project and process as part of how how is that part of that legacy of naming queer um heroes and heroines and people of uh hero-like proportions you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i mean i think it's a really big part of it um in fact you know i think for tina and i for me it's really important just in terms of the out of sight project that these the this the names get heard that they get that the people get remembered that the places are remembered but we had a moment where we were like tina was like we need to hear it we you know like it's like you know like somehow you know because you know once we made the decision that we were only going to focus on two people it's like okay but what about the others that actually helped create the moment so it feels you know really i think really powerful to you know to hear the names you know of of the other people that that really helped create the moment you know um and was that and... in april or may when we were near the park near where mm-hmm. mods was and there was this moment i know i was having a big moment yeah yeah i, like I mean a big, it... serious moment where i was like I'm like, okay, uh, like many neighborhoods in San Francisco, one could easily say they, they, wander in, they wander into this city called San Francisco and then they go to this place called The Hate and they go, yep, a lot of rich white people live here in these big fancy houses that nobody can um, buy and I don't know, I guess there was some kind of history here and whatever and move on. Mm-hmm. I have no idea about who came through and who was there and... Um, who made an impact. KXSFLP San Francisco here listening to an interview with Seth Eisen and Tina D'Elia of the Out of Sight Hate, a performance walking tour, part of a series of capturing and remembering queer legacies, hidden histories, honoring the pivotal roles of um queer icons uh, in the history of the city. And this is KXSFLP San Francisco, the frequency uplift. Thank you for tuning in and we will resume with this interview now. And just a little more and some music to come. Thanks for tuning in. Tying the show to, 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 um, to, to to sort of something greater and within the within the greater, I should say, like like all of these people have um, saying saying all their names and and also um, as as Seth has said many times, like well if they read the program they would know more about the people in case they don't know. 
And I needed to do that. I needed to read the program too. No shame in reading the program. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful program and a beautiful process on your website, the blogs, uh, the the process notes, the you know, the, the stuff about the history because I mean you're in you're creating and, and embodying these histories in this performance. Um, and again, I might as well just say that we're talking with Seth Eisen and Tina Delia from uh, Out of Sight Hate, which is a Eisen Presents production that's coming up, uh, that has been going on through the last month and change, and has yet another month to go. So uh, uh, I do want to say that about what you just said it is such a beautiful moment, and it had what I attended, it had some people in tears who were from the neighborhood were, were honoring in that moment. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful experience. I highly recommend it. And how can people get there, my friends? Yeah, um, you can um, find information on our website, which is E-Y-E-Z-E-N dot O-R-G, I-Z-E-N.org. And there's information about Out of Sight Hate there. Um, you can also find us on Facebook, um, uh, IZEN Presents, E-Y-E-Z-E-N. You just look it up, E-Y-E-Z-E-N, you'll find us, um, or Instagram, and you could look up the hashtag, uh, Out of Sight Hate, and find us there as well. So, yeah, we have shows that will run uh, through the end of um, July. We perform on... Saturdays and Sundays at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. And um, we don't have any shows on the July 4th weekend, this coming weekend, but um, but the rest of the of the month on every weekend we do. So, yeah. Highly recommended. Um, and thank you both for, for coming on the show and talking to me about all this. Amazing yeah. history, amazing art, an amazing legacy of carrying forward queer history in the hate and throughout the entire city. I have to ask, where next, Seth and Tina? <laughs> what neighborhood? It's always a question, right? <laughs> but probably Polk Street, I would think. Ah. There's so much history there. Um, yeah, and it's, it's another neighborhood. I mean, the hate is just one that I was like, really, there was anything gay that happened there? How's that possible? I mean, I, of course I knew about mods, like, right. you know, the longest yeah, running lesbian bar. Um, and I knew about tracks, but I did not know about any of the others. So there's always hidden histories, you know, that are that are out there that, you know, ask, ask the generation before. Yeah. Um, that's how I found out, you know, right. reading a lot, talking to people, you know, the interviews that we conducted to um to really learn more from people who lived it was really really quite amazing so again check out izen presents e-y-e-z-e-n presents and uh at all sorts of places thank you guys for thanks for and i want to say formally thank you for activating histories and reminding us of the centrality of queer people in the liberatory project and in our progress as a people and a city thank you so much thank you thank you bob
Support for KXSF comes from Lady Falcon Coffee Club, an iconoclastic, only in San Francisco, coffee roastery. Born and blended by the beach in the outer sunset and female-owned and operated, look for Lady Falcon Coffee Club beans at Byright, Williams-Sonoma, Gus's, Rainbow Grocery, Good Eggs, and other fine food vendors, or at their vintage mobile coffee truck about town. Learn more by visiting their website at ladyfalconcoffeeclub.com. Thanks for supporting San Francisco Community Radio. And thank you all for tuning in to KXSFLP San Francisco and supporting how you can. Well, we just heard before the thanks for... uh, our lovely sponsors, Lady Falcon. Uh, some music from Fanny, a uh, underappreciated uh, all-women's band from the 60s, including some queer women, uh, and their track, Queen Aretha, which seemed appropriate for tonight here in, the, in our Declaring Liberties holidays, shall we say, Taking Liberties. We just had a bit of an interview, and there's some pieces there that I think I'm going to come back to in a minute, but I wanted to just let you know what we heard. Uh, We heard some music interspersed through that interview from Janis Joplin, Get It While You Can, Tina D'Elia, again, singing a song from the show itself called Wages of Sin, as uh, voicing Hibiscus De La Blossom notorious and wonderful performer from the Coquettes and the Angels of Light. Uh, That track written by the playwright Michelle Carter with Jules and Delicato of the company. Uh, And we also heard How Many Times Blues Jam in that set from Big Brother and the Holding Company featuring, of course, Janis Joplin, the sometime lover of Peggy Caserta featured in that performance. Uh, And before that, I don't think we mentioned it, of course, I had to take this opportunity on July 4th to play Jefferson Airplanes Volunteers. Probably a first and last. You'll hear that on this show, but you know, I love that song from when I was a kid with long hair. I still have long hair. Anyway, uh, let's go on and hear some of the music that we were going to hear before. This is some new music from an incredible... Uh, trio out of Brooklyn, uh, brand new album called Mommy Issues, The Narcotics, with a, with a T, T-I-X at the end, two women uh, leading this band, and some really interesting, uh, well, you'll see. This is uh, uh, the track, Lilith, as appropriate. The revolution begins now. i 
and they're still there um, what it was like especially there's people you know who were there in the 60s and they're still there um, you know really hearing like what it was like um, you know really hearing like you know like um, you know really hearing
And that was new music from Spelling from Oakland's S-P-E-L-L-L-I-N-G, three L's for Spelling. Brilliant third album from her just out called The Turning Wheel on Sacred Bones Records. That was the track Revolution. And before that, a debut brand new brilliant release as well, I believe. One of my favorites thus far this year. The Narcotics uh, with T-I-X. The track Lilith. And their full-length release called Mommy Issues. Amazing poetry, amazing amazing work, really. Um, some great Great, shall I say, uh, they're sort of looking at the Brothers Grimm folklore through an Afro-masochistic lens. Seek into the mind's eye and you will find, they say. And uh, we were blessed and honored to dig back into the queer roots of the 60s liberatory project and the queer struggles that came up through that and from that with Seth Eisen and Tina D'Elia of the Out of Sight Hate Street, Hate Project, Hate Ashbury Project, a performance and uh, a legacy in queer history. And there were some excerpts from that interview that I didn't get to that I believe I'm going to drop on you right about now. Just a short... Like this. Um, um, you know, and here we go. You know, really hearing like what it was like, especially there's people, you know, who were there in the 60s and they're still there. Um, or in the 70s, you know, who came out from you know, the middle of the country, you know, who were living in more repressive places in a more repressive era and came to San Francisco as the you know, the queer oasis, and um, found lots of different things. I mean, some of what people found is that there were no jobs, you know, and there was there was a lot of poverty, and it was hard to survive. Um, but, you know, rents were cheaper, and, um, and the community was strong. You know, there was a lot of activism happening uh, in, in lots of different pockets, not just in the hate, but but really all over the city, you know, I mean, there's, you know, the, the group, there, there, there were about a dozen, you know, political groups that were queer related, you know, like, like the Vanguard, um, you know, which was, you know, a group of queer youth, um, queer youth of color and, you know, meeting in the basement of Glide um, and, you know, and, and really, you know, protesting the, the raids and um, police brutality that was happening, especially towards queer people of color um, during that era. So, yeah, lots of really incredible stories that, that, that these histories connected us to, you know, in a way, other neighborhoods and you know, really deepened for me, the conversation of like, 
how 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 difficult it was, and and what the struggle was, and how and the risks that people took to put themselves on the line to be really out there and not just proud, but going like, no, you can't treat us like this. You know, I love talking to the audience about who might not realize the struggles. You know, of like what it was like to go into a bar and, you know, if you're touching a person of the same sex or, you know, or you were considered a deviant if you were, you know, not dressing as, you know, your biological sex, um, you know, and, and could be arrested and then have your name printed in the newspaper um, or, you know, homophobic remarks being made by the media and then a spike in, you know, um, both suicides and, and homophobic violence. Um, so, you know, those, those folks who were on the front lines, you know, like Jose Saria were people who, who really saved our lives, who really paved the road for us to be able to have a pride parade. There wouldn't have been a pride parade without Jose Saria. There would not have been a pride parade. Um, that's really important to, to know. A short outtake from an interview with uh, Seth Eisen of Out of Sight Hate. Again, a project, a historical project, a performance, a trip, a psychedelic trip through the hidden history and queer legacy of San Francisco and of uh, the Haight-Ashbury. So check it out at Izen Presents or Out of Sight Hate uh, every Saturday and Sunday through uh, starting next next week, the 11th through the 25th. I want to take a minute to tell you that California, like all of our Western neighbors, is in the grips of a historic drought, and the signs are everywhere from worsening wildfires to the increasing appearance of once shy wildlife roaming urban areas. While much of this is out of our control, there is something we can all do, conserve water and minimize water waste, make water conservation a way of life. Learn more by going to saveourwater.com. This message brought to you by the folks at KXSF Acts. That's A-C-T-S. Check it out on our website. And I would also say, change the fossil fuel economy, kids. We only got a little while. Keep at it. Keep strong. Make that revolution happen. So no, some more new music. Let's keep going. Why don't we? I said I was going to play a bunch of great new stuff. And I will. Let's uh, check out first with this. New music from Amethyst Kaya. A bit of Americana. Her first debut solo album, I believe, but she's had amazing work as part of our Native Daughters. Check this out. From Amethyst Kaya's Wary and Strange, this is Sleeping Queen.
That was Seth Eisen again, a little outtake from the interview we did. Again, Out of Sight Hate this month. We just heard a, a great new remix redone. Uh, Tiago Nassi from Brazil. His Pele de Leopardo, uh, Skin of the Leopard, redone by Cornelius from Japan just out on Gearbox Records. Before that, the brilliant new release, Wary and Strange by Amethyst Kaya. Uh, the track, Sleeping Queen. And uh, some more fun to be had, I think, 
appropriate now for this theme. Pat Calla and Les Super Mojo from France, uh, from the African diaspora in France. This is Himavi, a hymn to life. Let us sing it together.
kicks. This FLP, the frequency uplift. A little new Lido Pimienta from Colombia and Canada. Doing Bork. Declare independence. Don't let them do that to you. Declare independence. Don't let them do that to you. Declare independence. Don't let them do that to you. It takes a village to keep independent radio alive and well in San Francisco. 
That's why KXSF is looking for business underwriters to support our station. For a monthly or annual donation, you'll get rotating thank you spots heard on air 24-7 and a prime spot with website link on the KXSF.FM homepage. Support the local arts community and get the word out about your business. Go online now to kxsf.fm slash underwriting. Please, please do. You're out there and you can drop some change and support us here at KXSF. We would love, love to hear from you. So uh, do as Ferry says. And uh, check in. That was new, a new single from uh, Lido Pimienta from Colombia and Canada, Declare Independence. Doing the Bjork hit in her own inimitable way. And before that, Pat Kala et la Super Mojo from France. Him à la vie, him to life. We got Cassie in the house. Dr. Midnight getting things going getting ready for his midnight to two shift. I think we're going to go with some new music again here. Why don't we say fake thank you to one more people and then new music from Britain's uh, brilliant tuba player, mainstay of Sons of Comet, but with his new release out. Can't wait for the full one. This is the pre-release single called we go again, but here, let's hear this first. Support for KXSF comes from McCarthy's Irish Bar in San Francisco's West Portal neighborhood. McCarthy's is open for back deck, socially distanced seating, food from Franco's Latin Table, and drinks. Enjoy a pint and some sports on the big screen, or just chill under the heat lamps. McCarthy's Irish Bar is located just up from the tunnel at 46 West Portal Avenue. Thanks for supporting KXSF. San Francisco Community Radio.
Welcome back. And almost gone. Thank you for tuning in to the Frequency Uplift here at KXSF.LP. San Francisco, thank you to Seth Eisen and Tina Dahlia of the Out of Sight Hate Project weekend performance tours into the queer history and the hidden legacies of the psychedelic hate through uh, the end of this month. We just heard the uncrosses. We go again, getting ready for the interstellar night to take us away. However, just a word of thought and praise that uh, we're going to have our second Sunday's Poets next week. We're blessed to have the Poet Laureate of San Francisco come through, Mr. Tongo Easton Martin, reading from QR Hand's new work, his posthumously published work, and maybe a few others. We'll see. I'm going to leave you tonight on this psychedelic Declaring Liberties Day with Jimi Hendrix, the Star Spangled Banner. Get ready for Kashi. Good night. Yeah, yeah, yeah.